0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. This is Dr. Shantae, your host, and this is the podcast all about faith and wellness, loving God, living well, and I would bust into my boys to men end of the road serenade because we are at the end of season one, y'all. It has been a long road we've been doing this for about five months and so i thank you all so much for being with me every step of this journey every leg of this journey this is the time of year where people are starting to get back into school and things are just really starting to pick up the pace from what they were over the summer and so we are going to be on a brief hiatus so we will be on break for about six weeks we should be back in the mix in mid-october And I will be sure to put those dates out on my social media as far as also my email list and in the Facebook group. So, we are in the middle of an addiction series. This is our series finale, and I have a very special guest with me, Ms. Jamelia Toya. That's how people know her from, you know, back in the days. But, you know, for you all's purposes, we're going to go with Jamelia. Um, and and she is the owner and principal consultant at Vantage Clinical Consulting. She is a professor, an author, and treatment advocate for addiction issues. I've known her for several years and found her to be such a kind-hearted and she has a gift for words and counseling and really kind of bringing people at ease and she has her own passion and heart for addiction and I thought she would be the perfect person to finish off this conversation that we've been having. So Jamelia, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me and for that really kind introduction. I respect and appreciate you uh, equally if not more.
0: I could have said much more, but, you know, we're on borrowed time. And so, first of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the first few episodes in this series. And so let's start there. What kind of jumped out to you with respect to the Addiction Series? Well, well, first off, I, I think that you did
1: a fantastic, a fantastic job um, defining the disease of addiction and impact that it has on on the brain. Um, You explained it in a way that anybody could understand. So thank you so much for, I mean, if you had to do any education on your own to learn about it so that you could explain it to others, I appreciate you and I thank you. You said several things that resonated with me. There were two things in particular that stood out. The first came, I believe it was from the first episode. Um, on addiction where you advise your listeners to pray for the people that they follow. That was very good advice. Um, in my field of addiction, there are so many self-proclaimed addiction treatment experts. Mm. Some of them believe that their way or their model of recovery is the model. And that's simply not the case. People who seek recovery from drugs and alcohol, they deserve and they require an individualized treatment approach so it's really important to 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 understand this fact and and pray for those who may not be offering the best tools to people especially right now and also pray for those people and families who pray for the people whose families are being targeted because they know that we as families will do anything to help our loved ones. Mm. So we have to pray for them as well. The second thing that stood out for me was your emphasis. And I believe this is the second episode, your, your emphasis on, on self-awareness and the fact that addiction is a family problem. I say this frequently, this, this couldn't be more true. I like to call it a family sport because everyone, everyone gets to play at some point. So Mm -hmm. those things would probably be the things that stood out to me the most.
0: It's interesting that you say that because a lot of times people really do think that, hey, this is just my problem. And the only person I'm hurting is myself. But you're right, when there's family involved, or you're married, or you have kids, and you think that people don't recognize and see the changes that are happening or notice those shifts in behavior, all of those things come to influence and impact the quality of the relationship. Absolutely.
1: And a prime example of that is, you know, we all sort, we we all alter our vision to deal with the reality that we're facing. And the person who's actively using drugs, so the, the term addict is is a, is a bit dated um, with the new definitions of addiction and how it should be treated how it should be treated. The language has shifted. So you know, instead of someone who is addicted, you know, people who are actually practicing in the treatment and recovery space, we often say, you know, we refer to people as uh, you know those who suffer from substance use disorders or we refer to them as those who actively use drugs because Mm -hmm. addict has been such a a stigmatizing and and stereotypical term but if you think about you know i know where you grew up and where i grew up which isn't actually you know which is wasn't that far from each other um which and i hate because i wish i had known you earlier right but (laughs) oftentimes we would see i think of one lady in particular who was an active drug user in our neighborhood. Everyone knew her. Everyone knew what she represented, what she looked like, what she acted like. And I'll tell you, she used to walk around the community as if she was the queen, as if you know her appearance had not, you know, took deteriorated. A tr- Absolutely, and she always carried a purse. She always carried a purse and she would switch around the neighborhood as though she had all of the confidence in the world and to the rest of the world she she looked terrible but she didn't know that she right. didn't know it and i think that's that's profound what happens in families is we get to the point where we're so used to putting on the mask surrounding these issues that we have no idea what it looks like to what it looks like to the rest of the world and it looks bad
0: Oh, you said a a whole mouthful right there, and something that I wanted to to hop on with respect to the the antiquated terms addict and some of these stereotypical uh nomenclatures junkie that sort of thing. that's actually a good shift into one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, which are what are some of the myths, the commonly mm-hmm. held myths about addiction
1: so there there are too many and you know, we don't have enough time together today, but I do encourage us to continue <laughs> the conversation well after this. So first off, let's take a look at where we are right now. You know, we're dealing with the the coronavirus, which in and of itself has revealed many, many hard truths around what we as a country are, are thinking, feeling, how we perceive addiction, and how we treat it. You know, it's become blatantly obvious that the current recovery system is is not working and it's working even less for people who are most vulnerable to the health healthcare system which are you know people of, of color and people with fewer resources than most the cdc recognizes you know drug overdose in particular is the leading cause of accidental death for americans under 50 and this is surpassing motor vehicle deaths and deaths due to gun violence. 174 people die daily from drug overdose. So one of the myths is that this is not a public health problem. Even though drug addiction or substance use disorder, you know, exists, people are still in denial that it is a problem, they believe that is a myth that won't happen to them or a loved one. However, the data says otherwise. Another myth is is that mo- most people have been, what, what most people have been told about addiction is is wrong and misleading, right? No matter who you are, what your experience has been, no matter what you do, there is no need to brand yourself indefinitely as a junkie loser a drain on your family and society you know you have a place here you are god's child he created you you are supposed to be here so another myth in my opinion is that you are not your addiction and lastly
0: oh hold on we have to park the car there for a second because I specifically remember uh, there was some controversy back in the days when uh, Kirk Franklin had come out mm-hmm. about his addiction with pornography and his struggles with that. And he came out on Oprah and, you know, to share his story about, you know, how God had changed him and helped him and his wife to move through that. And I remember Oprah kind of having this position of kind of like, mm, you know, you you can't pray that away. And it was in that era where, once a junkie, always a junkie, or once an addict, always an addict. And even a lot of the self-help and recovery programs were always like, hi, I'm Joseph and I'm an addict. Hi, Joseph. So that addiction became part of your identity. And it seems like you are pushing back against that a little bit. Absolutely.
1: I'll, I'll share with you how I learned about this. So I was in an internship at a treatment facility that provide both behavioral health and addiction treatment. And this was way back in, I wanna say, late 1999, early 2000. One of the things that I noticed within the team meetings, which is the way that we would start our day. We would come together, you know, nine o'clock in the morning and we would talk about the patients and the people who were there to help, there to serve, there to have faith that the patients can, can get better would refer to patients as the schizophrenic in 314 mm-hmm. or the heroin addict in, in 125 or the, the bipolar down the hall. Those, those meetings will set the tone, I know from my day and others. And so with that tone setting, we carry that into our interactions with the patients which left them feeling defeated and at that moment i knew that i did not want to operate like that as a professional and i did not want to refer to people as the illness that that they were suffering Mm. because it didn't give them an opportunity to fall back on their faith that they could get better well
0: Um, we have to be get your cash up at the end so we can take up an offering. But yeah, you you are not your addiction. You know, you you might have an addiction or you might struggle in that area, but that's not who you are. And, you know, because of of the work that you've done and I I really appreciate you taking a more humane and holistic approach saying, you know, this is a person, this is not a problem. This is a person who has a problem, but this person Mm -hmm. is not a problem with respect to what is necessary to get better. And I know that family and support systems are a big part of that. So in your estimation, in your experience, what part of addiction does the most damage to the family? Oh, we, um, goodness. This is so
1: unbelievably damaging. Just the, the well, first off, the toll that it takes on the person, right? You have a person who who is looking at, having to satisfy their cravings and it's a it's it's a survival thing. You spoke in one of your previous podcasts about the pregnancy cravings and I laughed out loud because I remember when I was pregnant with my son, I wanted a watermelon in the middle of the winter. Ooh. And <laughs> <laughs> so listen. Hey, either bring it home or don't come home or risk your life by coming home without it. And I was very serious and I don't think I had ever felt that strongly about anything. So that, that was something that helped me to understand the level of cravings that people probably suffer with when, when they are an active drug user. They they're trying to avoid withdrawal, you know, which can be so intense that they feel like they're going to die. But I think that most people and and the damage, the parts which are several, but one of the parts that is most damaging the families. And this is only my opinion, you know. Other people or experts may have a different opinion about this. But I think that we as families we're often fixated on the behaviors of the person who was using rather than addressing the feelings or the circumstances that that drove said behavior Mm. you know families mean well but families rarely admit the role their role that led to the collective dysfunction of their family they'd rather drop the person off who was actively using at the treatment center and say fix them you know fix him fix her so our biggest challenge is is really digging beneath the surface and exposing the, the crises that that we're facing. And if we do this, we become more compassionate. We become more compassionate to the people who are using because it really doesn't make a difference to be cruel to them or mean to them or harsh to them. They they eat pain for breakfast. You know, it's like what else, what else do you have? You can be mean to me, so what? What else do you have? So if we can become more passionate, we can actually inspire them to get the help that they need. So, you know, and we also as families should be getting help simultaneously.
0: I'm so glad that you said that because uh, in the previous episodes, we kind of touched on the fact that sometimes addiction is an outgrowth or a symptom of something in childhood that has not been resolved, something in childhood, some trauma, some something that this is the way that they've chosen to deal with it, that now it's kind of manifested in this way that this is how they're choosing to navigate that. And a lot of times when people are deciding to do the inner work, quote unquote, that's inner work. We don't talk about the outer work where other people in our lives might have to do some self-examination. But for those of you who are akin to someone who has this kind of struggle in order for it to be sustainable and long-lasting i think though you're absolutely right those dynamics absolutely have to be explored and addressed but i do wonder um, because i know some people have been mother Teresa in terms of trying to support people through addiction struggles and things like that in your perspective is there a point where you tap out where you say, "You know what? I have gone as far as I can go with this person, and now I just have to turn them over to jesus what What are your thoughts on that <laughs> uh, i say I
1: say absolutely, I say yes, and I say yes again, and that also depends on what you mean by walking away, so yes, you should give the issue to God yes, you should pray without ceasing while also developing your own unbreakable faith because you have to do work on you in addition to your loved one doing work on on themselves. Um, I think that God expects all of us to work on ourselves during this process. Someone who is in active drug use, they can't go to detox, to treatment, to an outpatient program and then come home to unhealthy surroundings it it just won't work Mm -hmm. so give it to god but work
0: on you that's my suggestion we didn't talk about this in the previous episodes but there's enabling behaviors right and a, a tough love approach where it's like okay Am I going to continue to let you live here even though I can't trust you around my stuff? Am I going to continue to let you live here even though I can't trust you around my kids? Am I going to continue to let you live here and have ready access to the bank book or the liquor cabinet or the, you know, that sort of thing? So it kind of striking that balance between enabling behaviors versus that kind of tough love. I have to draw a hard boundary for the protection of other people in the family or for my own self-preservation. That's what I mean by, you know, quote unquote, turning them over to god oh absolutely you
1: but before you do that you have to know what your capabilities are you have to know what your capacity is and most of us you know honestly we haven't taken the time to educate ourselves to understand exactly what sort of resources we have so We can actually start the process of helping people to recover with with compassionate language. Obviously, someone who has been stealing from you should not be trusted with with the checkbook, or they shouldn't be trusted around your your personal belongings, and that's okay. But do you say to them, get away from me. Um, No, I can't give you any money. No, get away from my purse. You know, how about, hey, love, you know what? I, I see you've been drinking way more than usual. Are you okay? You know, what's going on? Can I help? That's a lot better. And you may get a better response from the person that's using. But we often get frustrated, right? Because people have done things to us that, that hurt us. And unfortunately, we don't have the, the benefit of being high through that process. So we remember we remember what happened. We know how it made us feel. And we know that we we don't trust you. So don't turn over the checkbook. Give it to God. Instead of giving people money, give them resources. Mm-hmm. What's preventing you from giving them a list of treatment centers that you've called to see if they had availability? What's wrong with that? Why can't Someone do that. If you don't want to give them money, if you don't want to give them access to the things that are important to you, say that, you know what? I would love for you to see the kids. I can't wait for you to be with the kids. But unfortunately, when you use, I can't can't trust that you'll be as responsible as I know you can be. So, you know, let's work on getting better so we can get you around those babies again. They miss you.
0: And I appreciate that. You know, that is definitely the language of love. And this is what I meant you all when I said Jamelia has a way with words. Cause as she was talking, I'm thinking to myself, mm, I would have never said that. <laughs> I would have been like, if you don't get away from my belongings, I'm the type that'll change the locks on you and that whole bit. But it is that, that notion of treating somebody like a person rather than a problem and given the language of advocacy, like, Hey, I'm on your side. And I want to see you get there. But in order for you to get there, here's what you need to do. And that's not quote unquote conditional love, but that is a conditional set of rules for engagement. Like if this is what's going to happen between us, these are, are the boundaries and the, the rules of respect that are necessary for us to be able to have that kind of relationship. Absolutely. Makes all the sense in the world. So getting back to the role of faith, I know that addiction is not something that you can just quote unquote pray and walk away. But from your perspective and in your years of addiction counseling and working with patients and things like that, do you what role have you seen faith play? Do, I mean, you've said you know certainly pray without ceasing and things like that. But in terms of like a direct benefit to the person who is struggling with addiction or to their families, what have you seen faith do?
1: Well, it's important to talk about faith, but it's all it's equally important to understand that we have to meet people where they are, which is one of the, the core values and guiding principles of, you know, for addiction counselors, meet people where they are. That is something that we all subscribe to, you know, those of us who have gotten certified and or licensed in the treatment of, of, of addiction. And so one of the things that we have to consider is that someone who is trying to survive while, while managing their addiction, they are not likely to be operating at their highest spiritual frequency. Their relationship Mm -hmm. with God has been bruised from their perspective. They probably don't feel like they are being loved by God, even though nothing could be farther from the truth. So one of the things that we may have to start with is we may have to start the, the recovery efforts in the natural, and then swing them back to the spiritual. Because beating somebody over the head with with spiritual messages and and faith, it, it just may not resonate with them up front. Now, the other side of that is it, God will only meet you at your level of, of desire for him. So people who have a spiritual understanding within them, or even a religious understanding within them, they benefit the most from recovery because they envision life as something higher than their journey as a human being. So I think it's God's intention that all of us be great, that we be bendable, but not, unbreak- uh, not unbreakable. You know, humans are... We're, we're all resilient and there is nothing more wonderful than watching someone turn their lives around from addiction. It really is a wonderful thing. And I have such a tremendous respect because there are so many people who are walking around sick without an addiction, but they haven't figured out that it's time to get help. They're still walking around in denial. So I think that faith is, is necessary. I think that it helps us as humans remember that we're durable, that we're strong, that we're steady, that we're secure, and I think that we've been constructed as such by God. Faith is is what we what we hold on to when all else is gone, and that's what addiction robs from you. It takes everything.
0: I'm so glad that you said that, especially with respect to meeting people where they are, and what that puts me in the mind frame of is actually the apostle Paul. And he's like, "Hey, to, you know, to some I had to be this, and to some I had to be that in order that I might win some." So he said, "I had to meet them where they were. I couldn't come in there." you know the power of christ compels you he said i couldn't walk in the door like that that's not how that was you know so if they were serving some dish that may not have been within my jewish upbringing but it was going to be a way for me to gain access in the door in order that i might plant the seed of the gospel he said then that is what was necessary to do that and i i think that that underscores Uh, what you just said just underscores this notion of that shaming mechanism that is alive and well in, in black culture where there's a lot of finger pointing and what you need to do is and especially from the the christian community you know there seems to be a lot more shame and blame uh rather than kind of like love and grace that we've experienced from god and by god and the other thing that it puts me in the mind of is jonah so With respect to Jonah, you know, everybody knows Jonah was disobedient. He ran away from his calling and he ended up in the belly of the fish. But the thing is, the people on the boat with Jonah were reluctant to toss him over the side. So when the waves were crashing and all of these things came into the boat, when you are dealing with someone who is struggling with addiction, Waves are going to start crashing into your boat and you are really struggling like, oh, my gosh, what to do, you know, in this situation. I don't want to turn them over, you know, because what is that going to say about me? But God had made provision. The provision was the fish. He he gave Jonah a place to sit in time out, quote unquote, to think about his actions (laughs) before he got spit back out onto the shore. And when he came to that place of repentance or turning around and saying, "Okay, Lord, I'm going to do what you said. That's when he was able to kind of reengage with with society. So saying that, let's uh, pivot. The last question I want to ask you before we we round out this episode is. What have you seen that works? And you said, you know, there is no one-size-fits-all treatment. But in terms of where you sit, what have you seen that is effective? I would say
1: that any any strategy or any tool that's rooted in in education, the more you know, the more you you grow. And I'm not, not certain who said that, but I used to hear that all the time when I was younger. Maybe it was a, a teacher or something I saw on television. But if you're unknowledgeable about what you're dealing with, you'll always lack confidence all the time. You'll always be anxious, you'll always be stressed, disappointed and uncomfortable. So if you actually take the time to learn about the disease of addiction for yourself, it'll help you to manage your thoughts and feelings regarding your loved ones. And this goes for people who think they may have a problem learn more about it. Empower yourself so that you feel less uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that you don't have a problem. It just means that you are more knowledgeable. And once you understand that you can do something about it, you start to feel more empowered. So I guess this is equivalent of putting your your mask on first when the air pressure drops in the airplane. If you Mm -hmm. take care of yourself, you're in a position to help other people. So the second thing, is that, you know, consider joining online or other su- support groups. I know that very little is offered in person now, but there are really amazing groups out there, you know, with people who have gone through the same as you. Addiction is so isolating. You don't yeah. feel like you have anybody. You don't know anybody that has gone through what you're, you're going through or what you have gone through but there are supporters and you may not always have that support in your family. So be open to the possibility of connecting with other people outside of your family who are not judging you, who may not be biased, who may have their own opinion about the situation that may or may not be healthy. Connect with communities. And finally, in regards to to treatment, educate yourself on the benefits of, of counseling and therapy and the various levels of of care and how that care is administered. So if your family is not in crisis right now, if your listeners have loved ones within their family who are struggling and it's not a crisis today, this is the perfect time. Create a list of questions for treatment providers. Get on that phone, call those people, ask questions, put your escape plan in order, right? We create plans for everything, but this, we don't create a plan that determines if someone in my house is in crisis and they are either using drugs or who have overdosed from drugs, that is not the time to put your plan together. Do it when things are quiet and ask the organizations that you're reaching out to to provide evidence-based responses that are you know based on research ask them if they will lead you to peer-reviewed studies if you really want to get into the research and education of it all make sure that there is some evidence to support that what they are doing is work is is working or has worked for people, so those are just a few of the things that that people can try that are effective.
0: You know, thank you so much for that, and that makes a lot of sense. You're right; we do plan for everything else in our lives for every eventuality, but the thought that someone in our families could become addicted to a substance or to gambling or to—I've even had students. So at the college, I've had students share their recovery stories about video game addiction, you know, like how they just would sit there for hours and hours and would neglect so many other aspects of their lives. And so it's not just substance. It's not just money. It it can be any manner of things with respect to what the brain is craving in that moment, looking for that reward, looking for that stimulus. And I love what you did say, especially about the fact that because of the inner shame, you know, so it may not even be anybody pointing the finger at you, but just the thought that like, God could not possibly love me in this state. God could not possibly think there's anything redeemable about me while I'm doing this. And you're, you just affirm. That's just not, that is just not the truth. God loves us no matter what. That love is unconditional. And I think that knowing that and understanding that is also a benefit with respect to seeking help especially like Jamilia said when you're not in crisis. So any parting words for us before we let you go? So yes, I I totally agree with you. God loves us all. He
1: wants us all to succeed. I guess in parting two things. The first thing you mentioned, you know, recovery and 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 use is not limited to drugs and alcohol. There are also process addictions like gambling, shopping, you know, pornography or sex, computer addiction. So understanding that the things that we think are the problem are not the only problem. They're just covering up the problem. So whatever the real problem is, we really have to get to the bottom of that because it's not just about that thing that people obsess about, right? The other thing is recovery doesn't have to be awful. You know, so many people think that, so many people who are actively using, they have a fear of recovery because before they started using, they may have already felt like they were not accepted. So what if I take on this thing, I don't know anything about, it'll change my life i get to the other side of this and i'm still not accepted that's a legitimate fear and yes it takes hard work it takes effort but that's like anything that's worthwhile people will experience better they will experience better days better weeks you know better conversations with themselves they will make bigger changes they will learn more they will learn new tools they become empowered becoming empowered they will have more tools to cope you know it just keeps it it keeps getting better and getting that help is really like a deep a deep tissue massage it really is 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 going beneath the surface and pulling out all of those things that have helped them to stay active for so long it may not feel relaxing at first but over time you'll feel a million times better after it's done so you know, let's let's do that deep tissue recovery effort. Just really imagine how the impact on our lives and the lives of others can can be
0: enhanced. Thank you for saying that. And that is important to listeners that recovery is not just a what? you know because that is the part that sticks out. It's the behavior. Stop doing what you're doing. But as Jamelia has said, it's also a why. Why are you doing that? Let's pull that thread and get to the bottom of it. And that's that deep tissue work. That's that, you know, not that surface stuff. Like, let's really get down to the root of that. And so this has been wonderful. I could go on and on. I really could. And I thank you so much for being with us today. I cannot tell you how much value you have added to this series specifically because I know that people struggle. I know that they do. And I know that there's a lot of shame and questioning and, and misconceptions out there. And I think that you just cleared the air for so many people. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. And
1: I encourage you to, to please, you know, continue to make these sort of topics available to your audience because it can only help all of us in our growth. So thank you again.
0: You're so welcome. And That is the end of our season. So if you guys have any questions, comments, takeaways, you know, you can hit me up at Dr. Shantae says on Twitter on Instagram, all that good stuff. And I will see you guys next season.